All right, we're back. As promised at the top of the show, uh, we're going to now talk to someone about uh, some developments going on of an untoward nature to the neighborhood. Uh, Dr. Will Green joins us from Sacramento to talk a little bit about um, some developments in East Sacramento. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Dr. Green. Thank you, Doug. Now, Mercy Hospital is trying to expand into the East Sacramento neighborhood, a rather quiet, uh, shady, uh, laned uh, neighborhood that is not necessarily keen to have such a large development. You've been involved in that. Tell us what's going on. Yes, thank you. I'll be glad to. Uh, Mercy General Hospital, uh, bounded by 39th J and H Street, uh, has uh, kind of grown over the past 50 years from uh, 7 acres to 13.2 acres. In fact, one of the neighborhood groups, East Sacramento Improvement Association, was formed 50 years ago to fight the expansion when they were only seven acres, and now they've grown to 13.2. With their current proposal to build a regional cardiac center, which would be an expansion of their current services by 38% on this site, it further erodes into... um, their only surface parking space that's left, and it's going to require 290 spaces. And the proposal is that then uh, the campus will grow further across 39th Street, west of 39th, onto a 1.4-acre site where currently uh, Mercy Care, which was an old abandoned SNF facility, that skilled nursing facility, is sitting. And uh, the neighborhood has had it. I mean, we're saying, when does this stop? Enough is enough. Well, I think a lot of people, uh, uh, Dr. Green, in California have been in neighborhoods that have seen this kind of large expansion of some facility and, and sometimes the really terrible outcomes that result, and, and it looks as though people in East Sacramento are banding together. Well, we, we have. In fact, there's now a coalition called Endgame, and that's the initials N-G-A-M-E, and that stands for Neighborhood Groups Against Mercy Expansion. So we have... The three neighborhood groups, ESIA, MENA, M-E-N-A, and ESPTF, along with PUSH. Now, PUSH stands for East Sacramento Parents United for Safety and Health of Their Children. And uh, these are basically parents of children that are in the Sacred Heart Parish School, the elementary school, which is threatened by this project. So we're clearly saying, look, this project does not belong here. It's too negative environmental in the impacts of traffic, the traffic congestion, uh, destruction of mature trees, uh, the extensive construction time with noise, dirt, dust being a minimum of probably five years. It's overscaled and it's further eroding into the neighborhood and we really do not feel that this is mitigatable and we've been I've been at the table with Mercy now for three years, well, two years in the task force, and ESPTF, which I represent as co-chair. We've been upfront, forthright with our concerns. They've been the same all along. These are not mitigatable issues. This is not the appropriate place for this facility. Doesn't Mercy have some other places where that might they might be able to put a cardiac center? You know, Doug, as I look right here from my office, I work at... uh, Kaiser South Sacramento, I'm looking at uh, CHW Methodist Hospital just to the south of me. They have 20 acres of undeveloped land, which would be prime real estate for this. 
It's not infringing on a neighborhood. It's not involving an elementary school. It's right off the freeway. That's one site. There's Folsom CHW Hospital, 11 acres of undeveloped land. Uh, Natomas is wide open. Natomas, North Natomas, doesn't even have a community hospital. So why not uh, build there? Let's give something to Sacramento and to the neighborhoods that need something not further destruct the neighborhood. Well, Dr. Green, I've seen what happened to my neighborhood when I grew up in Fremont in the Bay Area. I've seen what's happened in Orange County where I lived for a while, and I, I just don't want to see this kind of thing happen here in, in East Sacramento. Well, Doug, I've been a resident of East Sacramento for now 31 years, and I walk a lot. I've had the personal experience with the first home I ever purchased which was directly across from Mercy. At that time, I looked out my window and saw single-family dwellings and apartment complexes. I couldn't even see the hospital. And yet three years later, I was getting a four-story parking garage and a through street called Spine Street that connected J&H with headlights into my front uh, picture window of the home. And uh, so I've seen the destruction. I've seen the increase in the traffic, and uh, it, it's just uh, unbearable. Well, Dr. Green, I hope that as this progresses, that uh, you can keep us uh, keep us apprised of what's happening. And for people that are listening that might want to get uh, more more uh, directly involved, where can they go? Please go to our website www.esptf.org. Uh, and that's the neighborhood group. Uh, there's the information there about our group. There's a sub uh, information on Endgame. They can sign our petition. We have over 1,500 signatures in opposition. They can uh, contribute to the campaign. They could even get a yard sign for the campaign. All right, community activist Dr. Will Green, uh, uh, keeping a surprise of some developments in East Sacramento. I hope you'll come on again in a month and, and update us. I would be delighted to. Thanks for the time, Doug. You're welcome. Um, bye-bye. All right, and another news from Sacramento. I don't know whether anyone noticed, but they had a, uh, a part rock concert, part church revival meeting, and part business pep rally last week on uh, the 9th. Uh, I guess it was billed as a Get Motivated Seminar for the business community. Uh, It featured motivational entrepreneur Zig Ziglar, former 49ers quarterback Joe Montana, financial guru Susie Orman, and even former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Evidently, something like uh, 25,000 people turned out and paid $29 a head to hear things like the following. I like what money buys, but I love what money doesn't buy. Money will buy me a house, but not a home. It'll buy you a bed, but not a good night's rest. Zig Ziglar, motivational speaker. Apparently, Joe Montana offered, The way you come to work every day determines and will determine your success. Now, you know, I always thought that... (laughs) Joe's success was his due to his athletic ability, Bill Walsh's coaching, the West Coast offense, and an incredible group of wide receivers. I have to admit, I'm amazed that people will pay this kind of price and go out and pack the house to hear things like, money will buy me a house, but not a home. 
I wonder if, if Mr. Ziegler and, and the people that organized this just didn't go out to Chinese dinner the night before and save the fortune cookies. <laughs> because all you got to do is add Confucius say to, well, Confucius say, the way you come to work every day determines and will determine your success. <laughs> or perhaps Confucius say, money will buy you a bed, but not a good night's rest. No, I guess I just don't get this business evangelism. Uh, this article in the B noted that Peter Lowe, president of the seminar's parent company, LifeWin, Inc., told the Arco Arena audience that 29 years ago he pledged to put Christ in the center of my life. Did all my problems go away? No, of course not. But I had the power to do things, he said. The B article quoted a lone underwriter saying that the religious themes were welcome in the event. Otherwise, people forget the spiritual life," said this person. I don't know. I guess when you gotta, you know, you gotta go out and foreclose on those widows and orphans, you gotta get pumped up for the task. And here's something else we need to clear up: the following Aerosmith song is not titled "Cheney's Got a Gun." No, no, the correct title has always been Janie's Got a Gun. Yes, you just have to love our, our vice president in action. Uh, John Stewart on, on his show had the following exchange. Speaking with a, a, a fictional vice presidential firearms mishap analyst, Rob Cordray. John Stewart. Rob, obviously a very unfortunate situation. How's the vice president handling it? Rob. John, tonight the vice president is standing by his decision to shoot Harry Whittington. According to the best intelligence available, there were quail hidden in the bush. Everyone believed at the time there were quail in the bush. And while the quail turned out to be a 78-year-old man, even knowing that today, Cheney insists he still would have shot Whittington in the face. But, uh, but why, Rob? Well, John, in a post-9-11 world, the American people expect their leaders to be decisive. To not have shot his friend in the face would have sent a message to the quail that America is weak. The Daily Show also offered the historical perspective that this is the first time since Aaron Burr was the sitting vice president that the vice president of the United States has shot another human. And uh, Democratic speechwriter Jeff Nussbaum has said that while the White House is claiming that the CIA assured Cheney that Harry Whittington was actually a pheasant. And our favorite uh, blogger humorist Tom Burka sounded off on opinions you should have with... Eyewitnesses. Man ran into Cheney's knife. Vice President Cheney accidentally killed a man during a previous hunting trip, the White House reluctantly confirmed today after denying the incident several times. During a deer hunting expedition on a friend's $8 billion ranch, a man ran into Cheney's knife several times while Cheney was gutting and dressing a deer, a wealthy Republican Party donor and eyewitness said. The man who died was Wilfred Bukes, a Bush family accountant who took care of the books for the Bushes and several Bush companies. Bukes' death was ruled a suicide by Senator Dr. Bill Frist, who examined Mr. Bukes by Polaroid. Candy Ricks, a spokesman for the vice president, said that it was not necessary to report the incident to the authorities because the vice president and his party were authorities, and very powerful and influential ones too, I might add. Ricks denied that Mr. Cheney needed to exercise more caution during hunting trips. Mr. Cheney is every bit as careful with hunting as he is with civil liberties, foreign policy, 
and democracy, she said. That was our friend Tom Burka from his website, Opinions You Should Have. But lest we be too hard on the Republican side of the aisle, how about this item from Ohio? Popular Ohio Democrat drops out of race and perhaps politics. Paul Hackett, an Iraq war veteran and popular Democratic candidate in Ohio's closely watched Senate contest, said yesterday he was dropping out of the race and leaving politics altogether as a result of pressure from party leaders. Mr. Hackett said Senators Charles Schumer of New York and Harry Reid of Nevada, the same party leaders who he said persuaded him last August to enter the Senate race, had pushed him to step aside so that Representative Sherrod Brown, a longtime member of Congress, could take on Senator Mike DeWine, the Republican incumbent. Mr. Hackett staged a surprisingly strong congressional run last year in an overwhelmingly Republican district and gained national prominence for his scathing criticism of the Bush administration's handling of the Iraq war. It was his performance in the congressional race that led party leaders to recruit him for the Senate spot. But for the last two weeks, he said, state and national Democratic Party leaders have urged him to drop out of his senatorial campaign and again run for Congress. We're running short on time, so I'm afraid I don't have time to tell you much about uh, the visit I made to the Sacramento Memorial Auditorium last night to see Bob Newhart, except to say that I enjoyed hearing from Mr. Newhart, but to me, he's a stand-up comedian. I can remember his appearances on Ed Sullivan back in the 1960s. I never really saw him as a sitcom actor. Uh, They showed some clips from that, but I think I'll try and save that to talk a little bit about some of these funny moments on, on next week's show. Let's close today's show with a look at some comedy that's out there. Mr. McMillan, would you please uh, cue up some appropriate music? That, of course, is Henry Mancini's, uh, you know, instantly recognizable classic bit of music, The Pink Panther, which accompanied the original movie with David Niven and uh, Inspector Clouseau playing a rather minor role in the original, which, of course, was amplified in the sequels. I think there are five movies featuring uh, Peter Sellers as Inspector Clouseau. Uh, For this correspondence uh, money... I would say that A Shot in the Dark is hands down the best of the lot. Some years back on A Lark, we did uh, the top 10 comedy movies we thought uh, on this program of all time, and that was clearly in the top five. Regrettably, for those who, uh, who think fondly of Inspector Clouseau, a.k.a. Peter Sellers, Steve Martin has gotten into the act. I'd like to read a bit from Salon.com's evaluation of his effort. In Sean Levy's gaspingly unfunny The Pink Panther, not a remake of the Blake Edwards original, but a version of some vague idea of the original, Steve Martin plays Inspector Clouseau. But at least he's smart enough to know that he can't play Peter Sellers. Martin knew he had to reinvent the role, which he did mostly by devising an an identifiably Martinesque faux French accent that sounds like a speech impediment. The Pink Panther is lousy for many reasons. For one thing, its rhythms wobble and weave drunkenly, and even the potentially funny jokes hang in the stratosphere, twinkling dimly with far too much space around them before crashing to earth. 
but because the Pink Panther is a star vehicle, Martin has to bear most of the blame. It's hard to know how comedies like the Pink Panther are conceived, but my guess is that some guys were sitting around in a room one day and said, Hey, let's have Steve Martin play Inspector Clouseau. Anyway, for a further evaluation of that and some comments on Albert Brooks and Woody Allen and why these trio of men don't seem to be funny anymore, you should look at Stephanie Zacharek's article on Salon.com. We do note, with some sadness, however, that the Pig Panther has turned out to be a box office bonanza on its opening weekend being the number one show in the nation. Well, at least the producers hasn't done very well because it turned out it was the crappy movie that we on Radio Parallax predicted that it would be, although we're going to check with Dr. Andy and maybe even go see that one. We won't be checking out The Pink Panther. But if you've never seen A Shot in the Dark, we recommend very highly that you get the DVD and check it out. In fact, its theme song was on the charts in the 1960s and did quite well. I think it's as good as The Pink Panther. That's it for today's program. We'd like to thank Assemblymember Dave Jones from Sacramento's 9th District, as well as Dr. Will Green, community activist from Sacramento. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett, and we'll see you next Thursday at 5 o'clock. Stay tuned now for Talk.